0: I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. Oh,
1: this oh, is completely utterly you're mad.
0: You're gone. Genius. <laughs> the In genius. universe. Someone needs to save this. Man. If you're doing what Self. everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> One of the greatest epics ever, produced. I telepathically. Well get ready. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs>
1: And we'll just start right there because reality has always been in the way, and the last uh, week and a half has been even more of that I suppose, Brian. So it, it was really a pleasure to have you reach out to me since I had been failing to reach out to you. And uh, and say, well, you know, while I'm busy pastoring this massive conglomerate congregation and, and running TV shows every week for the world, um uh, Jonathan, how are you? Do you need any help? And that was very kind of you uh to, to reach out to me and make me feel welcome in this time of trial. But uh, honestly, I had been like a little bit worried about you because you had just landed down there, right? And so you're yeah, trying to right. get that organization to kind of know who you are, and now you're in the fire of it. So yeah. uh, how
0: are you? How are you? Fine. Fine. You know, plug it along. It's, it's a wild time. It's wild days, you know, and, and, but here, and here's the problem. I mean, I've been thinking about this because, you know, if, if someone's listening as we record, what's today is the March 26th. So it's right in the middle of this Corona thing. And, um, I, but, but maybe not right in the middle of it. We're it, cause we're in a weird spot. It's so I, I remember one time watching a video of the tsunami like um, you know, when a tsunami was going to hit the Philippines or something like this, and the strange thing happens where, like, the beach just the the water is pulled out to the ocean, and the and the line just the beach it goes way 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 out, and and the and the problem is all the w- water is being pulled out to this huge wave that's about to crash in, but the people if they don't know they don't know and everyone runs out to the beach to see this strange phenomenon hmm. and then the thing hits and it's just it feels like we're you know, with all these orders for shelter in place which we're under now you know we went under the restriction um, for the city and a the great state. the great nation
1: of Texas went into shelter in place huh
0: I know well no no the governor Greg Abbott, is refusing to offer that but the, oh really yeah but the mayor the of localities Austin okay. and Williamson counties both.
1: Oh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say God are. bless the governor for taking a stand on that. I don't know. I, I think it should be a local decision. That's great, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it makes sense because you know, in some parts of Texas, you don't need a shelter in place because, like, you could go out looking for people. Yeah, for it. three days and not finding. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but Houston and I think I think Dallas was first, and then Houston and Austin, and I think maybe San Antonio might have followed suit, which makes sense. You know, it's. Um, and the cases are continuing to rise, but it seems like you know you you've seen this wave crash in China, we've seen this wave crash in Italy, and crashing in Spain, now crashing in New York, and then you and and now you see the water receding. So it's this weird sort of thing where you you're just kind of sitting here waiting to see what's going to happen. And oddly enough, the the way that we that we're to react to it. It's like an anti-human thing. So, so there's a way that humanity, when you're in trouble, you want to kind of band together. I remember when I was in Aurora and they had the the guy shot up the theater, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to come to church. I mean, you just want to be together in church. This is our our human reaction, but because of the nature of the of this tragedy, then you you have to scatter. So if this was – if we were actually at war, like if if Russia was shooting nuclear weapons or something, then we would be gathering together at church every night to pray the litany. But because of the nature of this tragedy, it's kind of scattered. It's scattered us. That's and what, I, so that's an interesting thing to think about. And maybe one more thing to just kind of throw huh. in the soup, and you'd pick which way you want to go. But I was thinking about the role of technology in this whole thing. Uh, one of my members found in the library that in 1918 – the City Council of Austin issued a 30-day ban for gathering together for the Spanish flu, and um, and it had all this stuff about what St. Paul Lutheran Church was doing during the Spanish flu, and the pastor was really involved, like with the Red Cross and stuff. Like that. Huh, huh. So, it was looking historically, 102 years ago that this happened last, and and thinking about that, but technology has changed. Did since they? Then. Can,
1: you, can I ask? Did they stop uh, gathering at that point uh, I on think Sundays? So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: they did for for thirty days. It's and you can read the notice. It's pretty because it explicitly says churches, lodges, pool halls, <laughs> and moving picture theaters. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and that kind of highlights the difference of the technology. Because number one, we've got technology that is able to track and model infectious disease, and we and we have a particularly, well, I mean, just a more advanced germ theory on the one hand, but then we have. The technology that allows us to travel so quickly that, as someone pointed out, the coronavirus can get from China to Europe in a business class seat in in twelve hours. Right. So, you know. Right. So the technology has allowed for the spread to happen, but then technology has also allowed for for us to continue to minister with the word at least over these great distances. So it's just it's interesting to me to see how the technology has both, uh, in some ways. Been the cause of the spread, it's, it's part of the solution to the problem, and then there's opportunity in the midst of it um, through the through where we are with technology today. So yeah. tech is so just, just a, a first, yeah, it's mind.
1: fantastic, Brian. Te- tech is just a first article gift that's going to be like all first article gifts for good and for ill, and come with thorns and thistles and be abused by men for the sake of their own gain. Right? It's just like every other thing on the planet, but it is and has created what I increasingly. Just in my head have stopped referring to as, as symbolically a brave new world as Ados Huxley uh, wrote the book, but as uh, almost prophetically, uh, an actual reality. It is not 1984. It is not the world of Ados Huxley exactly, but we live in a darn close representation of it. And Animal Farm has been on my head a bit more recently as well. So, you know, if we're going to talk first article things and tools, uh, the one that has me the most concerned right now is is government itself but that, that's a different thing entirely from to me the most well there, there are two pressing theological things you said uh right there at the end and they could go really different directions and one is you said you said the phrase with the word comma at least right with the word of god at least because you know that's not much but it's something right at least i got that going for me you know, it's almost like this weird way in which we 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 decry, and I probably am party to this, the extreme and vivifying power of the Word of God. And what is happening right now in an explosive way, I think I've heard others say, you've talked about this, I know I've talked about this. Right now, there is so much new material being created for you to imbibe the Word of God online across the globe um, and across the Lutheran globe particularly. Uh, Because of this event, pastors who have never really thought much about doing stuff online are just creating capacity to do it now. And what will come on the other side of this, I hope, is that they don't stop, uh, but that this catalyzes uh, that idea and the recognition of the power of the word to infiltrate society uh, via communication channels and and, and tech, as as you said, mediums. But that to me is – Second, still though, because it, because I'm with you on where did that the word of God at least phrase come from? Well, it's because we know it's not all that makes church church, and so here's my question, and I'm going to be really snarky about it uh, because I want to I want to show the pun in the translation. But if the church, a word that is from some German, you know, mispronounced, having been translated from some Greek, ecclesia, that means the assembly. The gathering. If the gathering, the church does not gather. Does not church? Because that's the that would be the verb then, right? To get together. If the getting together does not get together, is it the get together?
0: Right. It, 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 <laughs> you so, know. You you know. So maybe three three things on that because I um. The answer is no. It's not the right if it's not together. I mean, that's a simple answer. Yeah, and it reminds us that what is, is it? Psalm one hundred thirty-seven, where by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, and there we wept as we remembered Zion, and they said, "Sing us a song mm. of the of the hills of Zion, of the palaces of Zion," and they can't, and they and they hang their harps on the willow trees by the rivers of Babylon because they're in exile, mm. and you can't. You can't worship when you're in exile. In fact, there's a great danger, and we should w- recognize this: is that the Pharisees were invented in exile, mm-hmm. and the Pharisees were invented because the, the the people of God were asking the question, "How can we be? How, how can we have church if we don't have a temple to right. offer sacrifices?" Right, and because there was no temple, there was no; it was destroyed. There was no altar, and and the the problem is that a, an alternate. A bloodless religion it takes shape. Yep, yep, yep. And so, and so, there's a great danger. This is why, without so, flesh, yep, yep, without flesh. So, so there. This is why, and I've been thinking about this. Why it's the hardest for Lutherans to cancel church, but also the easiest for Lutherans to cancel hmm. church, because it's hardest because we, amongst all confessions, we have the supper, we have the body and the blood, and you know the, the the Protestants have either a, a spiritual meal or a symbolic meal, so no big deal. The Catholics have this sort of idea that the sacrifice can be transferred, so you can have a you could sacrifice the mass for the dead, or you know there's a lot of priests that, that they are having the Lord's Supper and they're just consuming it themselves, and there's a prayer that the, that the people can participate. From a distance, in the virtue of that sacrifice, I'm pretty
1: so, sure you can pay for it to be said just for you. I, yeah, I would, yeah. I would wager you can still do that these days.
0: It's, it's. I mean, this is the whole mass for the dead kind of yeah, thing. If right? you can, if you can sa- do, have the Lord's Supper on Earth and benefit someone in Purgatory, then, but we don't have that. In fact, we the Lutherans say you don't even. We don't practice, for example, the Corpus Christi pr- uh, pr- procession because Jesus did not give us His body and blood to be. To be adored at a distance, but rather to be eaten and to be drank, drunken, drank, drunk. Well, can I, I can so I, can, can I
1: chime in there and say something else yep. that you know it, it was not taught in this context. It was taught in terms of who can perform a baptism, who can do the Lord's Supper, and and the idea that uh, any, any person, any Christian, should and can baptize someone in an emergency, but that. There is no emergency Lord's Supper situation, and so a pastor should always be the one who does that. And in right. that is this idea that the supper is not necessary for salvation while baptism is, and that's a very complicated technical theological argument there. I don't want to chase that hole, but there is this thing where like, we don't have to meet for the Lord's Supper every seven days. We don't have to meet on the Lord's Day. Uh, we just have to at some point meet for the Lord's Supper and so we can very very easily if we had to pause Sunday right um, mm-hmm. if we had to the times and places for doing that I mean are extreme and I'm still not sure this is this is that place but again as I've said other places I don't know if you've heard me say it um, I'm all for letting each man do as he sees fit in his parish with his elders and in conversation with those in his community that are also pastors right. and, and, and not uh, pointing fingers at this point in time
0: uh yeah yeah i mean i'm thinking of it i mean this is so so to know that the only way we can have the supper is by having the supper yeah you you, you can't have it virtually i'm waiting for someone to try man well they they, i mean there's there was all this kind of crazy talk about it right at the beginning is in fact carrie showed me a, a, a picture of one of her facebook friends and it says ready for the lord's supper and it was a It was their pastor was on the TV, and they had a glass of Chardonnay and a a piece of –
1: The more that anybody jumps on this, and this is my concern about when people are closing their doors, even if you're streaming live, you're going to lose in the return. Three weeks from now, you're going to lose a percentage, and – those who buy into this and say well we're do- we're going all in on this because it's all we really need is the online stuff you're going to lose a greater percentage right because the people aren't going to believe there's really a reason to, to come back
0: uh, so, so yeah this is i I think we have to then consider, so i mean this is why it's so hard, but but if the Lord lays it on us, this is how i 'm thinking about it is that the Lord has appointed us to a a time of fasting from the supper and from meeting together and um and the fast always has to be followed by a feast so we're pre- and it we haven't chosen it. i mean we, we do not have the authority to to fast from the lord's supper i mean jesus can appoint a f- he can we can fast from food or fast from whatever else we want to fast from but we uh, we do not right. have right it is not up to us to fast you don't give lord's up
1: supper. the lord's supper for lent
0: <laughs> but, the, but the lord jesus can lay a fast on us and and remember how luther makes this distinction although
1: hold on hold on it's a famine though man
0: he lays well, a famine well, I mean, on us and we, yeah, we yeah, then we we see it as a fast because of our faith yeah that's exactly it so so luther makes this distinction between the fast that we choose and the fast that the lord chooses <laughs> And the, the fast that the Lord chooses, which is exactly what you said, is a famine, and that's the true fast. I mean, the the, the true fast is when right because the chosen
1: cross forever. is the chosen cross isn't as much of a cross. You, you got to pick, and so it, you know it's not as bad. And you get to pick when it's over. Yeah, right. right.
0: I was gonna fast for five days, but man, I'm hungry <laughs> after twenty minutes. So I'm just gonna eat these Oreos. I heard
1: a, I heard a story years ago. I've never had this confirmed, okay? But I, but I heard this is through LCMS clergy conversation. But I can't even tell you who told me it. Uh, But I think it was connected to Weinrich, uh, who I believe you would have, you know better than I do. I've had very passing connections with Weinrich, uh, respected theologian if you don't know him, uh, taught at Fort Wayne. And uh, he did a lot of work in post Soviet Eastern Europe and even Russia, uh, making connections over there. And somehow through all of that, but I'd love to know if this is true or not, but I had heard that uh, when Lutheran missionaries went back into certain areas of of post-Soviet controlled lands, uh, in Russia particularly, I think, uh, they found small family units and uh, extended groups, networks, church is really without buildings, but uh, uh, connected groups of Christians uh, who were Lutheran, uh, who had not had a pastor for a generation, but had baptized and continued to teach the, the basics of Christianity, what we'd call the catechism, in their community, And it was because of the illegality of of the situation. So the pastor was removed during the Bolshevik Revolution, and uh, nothing ever replaced it, and they were not allowed to remain Lutheran uh, officially, but quietly and without meeting together in a, what, word and sacrament way. And and they acknowledged – I mean they didn't have the Lord's Supper because they were Lutherans, and they knew that they shouldn't, and they waited, and it was like a generation. I don't know if that's true or not. But but it sure would be amazing if it is, and, and yeah. then to hear that the Lord sent word again, finally, so that those same areas now have the, the fledgling Russian Lutheran Church at work in them, which is a, a marvelous thing to think on, although I would never wish it on anybody.
0: Yeah. No, that's – I mean – no, I've heard that too. I don't know if it's from wider, but it sounds like that, and, and it's an, these amazing stories that the, the Lord – So so this is on the other hand – why it's so? Why it's the hardest for Lutherans is because we alone have this idea that you don't have the supper unless you taste and and unless you take and eat. Mm-hmm. That's that we're, we're the only church that actually says that. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it's hardest for us to cancel because because Jesus says do this and we and and we have those words. But on the other hand, it's the easiest because we also on uh, this is another unique Lutheran doctrine are the only church with the with the doctrine of the efficacy of the Word of God. <laughs> I mean, no other no other church has it. Um, that that God's word is powerful, and it's an amazing thing to think. You know, this is, is that is that you have the body and the blood, which you you get the benefit in no other way than eating and drinking with faith. Unless you eat and drink with faith, you do not benefit from the supper. So you've got to be there. And yet we have the word of God, which is able to to spread its. Its power and its efficacy across the wor- a world, in uh, to every corner of the world, and whenever it's spoken, whenever it's read, whenever it's meditated on, whenever it's preached, and for that we see, for just as an example, the letters of Saint Paul, who who wasn't there, for example, in Philippi, and yet is able to write down his words, his prayers, and his sermons, and send it across the ocean, and that word the Holy spirit used when it arrived in Philippi (laughs) so that, so that God's word is, is able to be transferred from one place to another uh, via technology and have its benefits there. And so, because we have that great confidence, we, we're able to say, well, the Lord can sustain his people through all sorts of trouble. Um, and, And so that gives us confidence that even when we can't meet together, that the Lord will 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 sustain our lives, even though it might be it'll be a something, you know, like when you're fasting, you're diminished, but it'll our lives will be sustained.
1: Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, and that Word then being the Scriptures is the mediation between the Father and and you, right? If, if there is one mediator between God and man, and that is. The single man Jesus, who is also the Word, whose words are what the the substance and and uh, perlocutionary force of Holy Scripture of the Bible. What the words do—that's all Jesus, right? And so the mediation of God into you and, and giving the Spirit to you by the Scriptures is trusted above all things. And you're you're right. I would think in saying that n- nobody quite has the same view of that as Lutherans of of, of the power of the Scriptures as verbatim. Um, although I, I think I you'd prove- have to make, I think you'd have to make a, that argument pretty hard against the Baptist to convince them that that that's true.
0: Well, not so much because you hear the Baptist who says this. They say God's word is well. Okay, here's the here's how to test it. The Baptist says God's word says that Jesus died for you, but now you have to accept it. You, you know, in other words, it's information that you have to act upon. But so, but here's the test case: Can the Baptist pastor speak the absolution? And that's how you. That's how you can tell if someone understands that God's word is has authority, um, can, because they can't. I mean, they can't say your sins are forgiven. Right? That's weird. A like they should
1: be able to say that all Christians could say it,
0: right? Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's the test on the other side is for the Catholics. Can any Christian say it? Because then you see where the efficacy is for the Catholic Church. It's in the priesthood. Mm. So. So it is. I mean, it's you know. I mean, maybe this is not the right time to be talking about the the differences between all the Christian denominations. So.
1: Well, I know you're always looking for a good crisis to push your uh, your star higher in the sky. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm I, I have, I'm sitting here on this video. Why canceling churches is hardest for Lutherans, and I just don't want to. I don't want to publish it because mm. it just seems a little bit distasteful mm. in in the midst of the current conversation. To be yeah.
1: Like, well, I mean, I would, I would, I would maybe. I don't know. You have guys like me out here who are working pretty hard to keep the doors open because we can, and we found a way to do it. And, well, um, God be praised. And yeah. oh, so
0: that's what we'll have to do. I mean, at some point, you got to see an end point. Yeah. And, and if we don't see an end point, then you got to start making provisions. So- it, this has become
1: like total spiritual warfare for me, man, because here, here's the thing we have a three week, two and a half week lockdown here, and the, it ends like the night of, the evening of before Palm Sunday. And so, if they're going to extend this thing, or they've already made it difficult for us to know, you know, what their rules will be come Palm Sunday, right? So, we, they, who knows what kind of proclamation they'll make on Friday, um, that for the next set of things. But then you have Holy Week right on its tail, and so if their new proclamation is okay, another you know another thirty days or whatever, it's really hard for me to say after doing what we've done so far. Um, yeah, Easter. No, we won't. Uh, part of me is like. <laughs> If we don't have enough information, unless, unless there would have to be more information about the real damage this thing's doing, then the media just kind of screaming about China and Italy and, and giving us numbers without any of the context for understanding uh, what kind of situations led to these, these circumstances, uh, and the diversity of, for, for just for example, hand washing practices, uh, in, in the United States. Uh, so, uh, I, I'm not ready to cancel Easter just yet. And, uh, Part of me is afraid that I'll be put to the test on that one and have yeah. to make a call. And and, and I don't want to. Because um, I, I don't know that I can go with you on the one where it's like, well, I mean, if, if nothing else, I'm going to go stand there by myself and just let everyone know that I'm going to be standing there by myself. If you want to come sing a hymn with me? I'll be there. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I just don't know how you don't do it. And, and this is on Easter, which is a moving date anyway, right? It's not even like mm-hmm. it's, it's really that big a deal, but symbolically, uh, in a state which. In its proclamation about you know necessary things continuing, um, neglected to in any way reference religious functions whatsoever, even to say don't do them, uh, and, and let alone to say pray to your gods, whomever they may be, right? Yes. Uh, nothing, yes. absolute yes. you know communist style atheism from the government here, and yes. I'm just not trusting them that if I give up Easter after they extend a first promise into a second promise. I'm not convinced we ever get it back. Um well, and and yeah, call me crazy and maybe I am a little bit, but worst things have happened in the history of this world. I, I probably have listened to too much hardcore history on World War 1 and I, I you know I believe it's possible again. Uh maybe maybe that's that's the crazy. I th- we live in a
0: time where we don't believe these things are possible and that's why it scares me. That you know that's for me is that's something that I've been wrestling with. I, I this that wrestling that idea was coming. It was I was wrestling with this probably a couple of months before the coronavirus hit, and that is that that um, uh, it was t- uh, my confession of original sin had been tested because I I have just been hearing things that were, are so wicked and so terrible. And I I couldn't believe that they were true, <laughs> and uh, um, and some were historical and some were just current events sort of thing. Like I'll tell you one of the examples that is, that's easy to reflect on is the um, Jeffrey Epstein case. Oh yeah, sure. And as the details were coming out, I was like, this can't actually be true. I mean, that can't this that there's this guy who has a island for this kind of wickedness, and that he brings all of these wealthy rich politicians to this can't be true how could that how could that kind of deprivation actually exist and but i know it can be true because i confess the doctrine of original sin but it just doesn't seem like a it doesn't seem like the real world it's it's like nothing no world that that i live in but then there's just so many things like that were kind of pressing in on me and uh, and now this this is pressing in on all of us that that this that you know the the human society is a fragile thing. You just wonder how how much it can stress before it breaks. And we and we know that. I mean, we have the Bible, we have these stories, we have the history of the world, that, which tells us these things are possible. But but it's easy for us to forget about this. I think
1: I, I, that hits with what I've been I've been really pushing on. Just the last day in my thoughts. And um, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'll even say it well. Uh, but I think that we have un- underestimated significantly the the amount of worldview formation that I, I would I would gauge, gauge or guess that it's the television. The, the distinction between radio and television, the leap in worldview formation is not one-to-one but is exponential in scale. And the amount of television that I imbibed as a young man, uh, all the way up until my, I don't know, uh, late twenties when I finally just went to Netflix. Uh, the amount of time that was used, the the world was free to form my assumptions without me really thinking that's what the world was doing. It leads me now asking kind of at core levels, what are the things that I've always just taken for granted that I obviously shouldn't, because the Bible so clearly says something different, and I know the doctrine of this thing. But to take it to its like, well, fleshly understanding, uh, to put it into real life terms, and then believe that's not just possible but normal—that's um, a stunning thing. All the way from what demonology uh, to the power of baptism, uh, everything that the scriptures talk about has to be reimagined away from the materialist and I would say progressive socialist agenda of flailing Western civilization's media pod. Uh, And it's not that we can't engage that. I'm not saying that at all. But I think we've underestimated just how much it's formed our assumptions as as church and as Christians. And what I want desperately is to reform those assumptions with the scriptures being sort of a a super total – a reinvention. And all my stuff about gamifying my life with fantasy imagery, that's all just me trying to, to re-core, you know, those assumptions as something I can, I can grasp, uh, so that I can look back out the window and not see just my neighborhood, but see the fallen world of Adam in need of a savior who has sent me as a proclaimer and herald, you know, an ambassador and spy all at once with a, a super powerful word, uh, like unto magic, though nothing like the magic of the pagans, uh, but as you said, efficacious when spoken and always so. Um, that assumption is far more inspiring to me in the midst of all this madness uh, right. than, than whatever I would watch on Game of Thrones, as much right. as I do love Game of Thrones. Uh,
0: I've never seen it. I, there's some... Oh, it's, it don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the biblical word that you remind me of? Because, because this whole big tragedy of the coronavirus, this whole thing is a shaking. Maybe that's the biblical word for it. And, and, and when things get shaken, it's helpful. You know, it it settles things that you see what's what's being propped up and what's not. You see what was what's built to last and what's not. So, so the the there's that picture in Psalm 46 when the whole world is when the mountains are falling down and and the and the sea is in tumult and yet the city that can't be moved, safe in the hands of God where the Lord dwells. This is a there's a thing. Where, where, I'm just kind of scanning through here. Um, like Haggai, I will shake all the nations. I will, uh, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yes, once more in a little while, I will shake mm-hmm. the heavens and the earth and the sea and the, gr- and the dry ground. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Jerusalem, so Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. This is, this is the, so that the, the world is being shaken. And now all these things that we have propped up, all of our idols start to fall over. Uh, which is helpful. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we—it's helpful for us because we, we we prop up these idols ourselves, and and we don't even recognize it. So the Lord has to. Has well,
1: to and that's okay. So, so what I see first article in this whole thing is that in three weeks there's going to be a whole lot of congregations that might not open their doors again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and that'll be a powerful sociological event in every town and city. It,
0: so it could be you're always. It could be the other way around. It you could think? Be, it could. I'm talking from this? a
1: fiscal perspective. I'm just well, talking okay. financially. They 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 were on the ropes to yes. begin with, okay. and this is just gonna. I mean, maybe if the pastor's got another job by now, he's making ten dollars an hour somewhere. He stays, maybe. But, but so
0: okay, but think about this. So like, I, I was. I, and don't was think.
1: A, but one more thing. Do, I don't think I'm just talking LCMS. I'm talking the whole spiritual frontier of america right so i'm not just saying this is an lcms thing think about all the pastors that are basically for higher guys Mm -hmm. right um this is going to be really disastrous for a lot Mm -hmm. of
0: people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but okay but but so i I think it was probably yesterday when i was just sitting around the house (laughs) it was just and i was thinking to myself you um, bum! <laughs> if I ch- if I chose just to stay home for three weeks, mm. what kind of life am I living? You right. know, this li- I'm just going to say, but because someone chose it for me, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta, le-, you know. It, it be- now I don't wonder if that same phenomenon happens to all to to, to this percentage of delinquent members hmm. or people who just neglect church because they whatever because they have soccer or or because they have laziness or because they want to watch golf on TV they, you know, the golf on Sunday was like a replay of 2018. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is crazy now. So let's say there are people who don't go to church because they don't want, but as soon as someone says, no, you can't go to church. I hope this flares up in the conscience of the, of the whole church. And that when we get back to church that, every, that I hope so, man, I just didn't see that.
1: I saw people just say, okay. And it's like, can you struggle about
0: it for like 15 seconds, please? I wrote one I wrote one good sentence. You know, I write about once a year, I write a good sentence. I think this is a good sentence. It's, I got to read you a paragraph. Oh, but it's one
1: many... sentence and it's a paragraph?
0: No, no it's – I'm telling You're you. You're going to
1: read me a paragraph and in it is the one good sentence you ever wrote.
0: Yeah, and it's actually a sentence fragment. There you go. So, okay, a phrase. Uh, so this is my letter I wrote to the congregation on the 20th, so last week. True fasting is always accompanied with repentance and prayer. We repent of our indifference to spiritual things, of our coldness towards the Lord's gifts, and to the casualness with which we had treated the holy things of God. And we pray that the Lord would quickly end this trouble so that we would once again gather before his holy altar with hearts leaping for joy and dry lips quenched with his forgiving blood. Oh, to take up the cup of the Lord. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Hmm. Now that I think is the the, the, the the thing that I want to echo there that just that oh to take up the cup of the Lord that 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 we had this great privilege of being able to gather week after week after week to drink the Lord's blood and now it's gone and so that so, so that we we pray that the Lord would would create in the midst of this this longing for that. Now maybe it won't happen but we'll we'll see but that's got to be our prayer. I think that's it will happen
1: be. Brian it'll happen to a remnant. And that remnant's going to come back sharpened and strong and I have no doubt about that whatsoever because that's what the Lord does when he sends these famines that turn into fasts he he purges the dross. And uh, that's what's going to happen but but for those who would prefer to be dross it, it, it's a shaking of them. Right, uh, it, it's a shaking of the branches that the the rotten fruit would, might fall out, um, or it's a, a chance for the the goats to just kind of go say, "Yeah, I'm a goat after all." And, and none of that's going to happen. I think intellectually, that's not how humans operate. Un- none of us, none of us are really just intellectually making decisions. You know, we're, we're whole persons with uh, emotion and, and meaning and history and connection, all these things. And uh, there's going to be those who have been cultural Christians. And just, that your 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 statement about you know what could be won't happen to them it'll it'll be some of both both ways. but I think that what we're gonna have to then face on the ground in three weeks is, yeah sure, okay, where'd these people go how do we how do we uh deal with our negligent members? but with that, if that was twenty percent of your income as an organization every year and you only pay the pastor and a secretary, what are you gonna do? you know and if you were already in crisis uh it's it's weird the congregations that don't have pastors are the ones most ready to weather this storm you know the yeah. groups of of 25 people in a building in the middle of nowhere i mean they can just kind of sit there and keep doing whatever um uh, but is that is that church either that's sort of the question yeah. too yeah
0: that's yeah. right i mean it's going to be I, I what are these projections for the unemployment like 20%, 30%. It's, I saw just a report come across this morning. How many people have been laid off just this, like in the last two days. Golly. Uh, and I was talking to a friend who said I had to, I had to lay off all my 38 employees so they could get unemployment. Cause right. I can't pay them. Right. Cause all my, all my gigs are done. Right. Uh, he, I mean, he just lost, he lost in one day. He lost all of his work for the next, for C of six months. So. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Um, uh, it's. I mean, in some ways, the church can. Uh, the church is in a better spot than than most. It is. businesses. It is. I think you're right.
1: Because um, it doesn't require as much to keep going if it has okay. fewer employees. The bigger churches, like your own, are where these numbers can creep up the backside real quick, and twenty percent of your budget taken away. I mean, just imagine what that'll do to the function. Um, yeah. And you know, being ready to walk through that with the leadership and say, "Okay, well, here's what it is," you know. Yeah. I'm sure you're capable. I'm sure they're capable, but
0: well, we're we're in a uniquely good spot, but um especially the, for I mean just after a year vacancy, so they were stashing cash away and for, you know, they weren't paying a pastor for right. for but but I mean no no matter. It's, it's um there's yeah, other t- uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> it's it, I like it that string of be...
1: grunts. That was great. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it was a string of grunts. You went, ah.
0: <clears throat> well, I mean, <laughs> because you do have you you do have different churches that are in different. Yeah. I mean I just I, yeah. I wonder about this, you know. So it's going to be. Small churches are going to have certain shapes of problems. The big churches are going to have certain shapes of problems. But the, you know, the families are going to have certain problems, and 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 here's the. I mean the the real trouble though is I think before we get to that it looks like we're going to have just a string of 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 sickness and death if if the wave does crash uh, uh, that that we're not going to be able to handle in a normal way. So I just I ran the numbers with like the projections of of contagion, how contagious this thing is, what percentage of people are going to get it and what percentage are going to die. So I ran the numbers kind of roughly, um, with the with the best estimates, which would be something like seventeen percent contagion, point one percent death rate, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then on the high end, which is like eighty percent contagions and then four percent death rates. And or, and and I said, now look, this whole just on one side or the other, best case scenario is that we have we have. 120 people who are sick and three people who die in the next three weeks Right, because of this. That's the best. And the worst is bad. It's like 600 people sick and 35 deaths or something like that. And you can't... You, what are you going to do? You can't go to... They won't let you go to see the people in the hospital. Right. I mean, how, how, right. right. how are you going to be a pastor to the people who are dying? I've thought... Now, this is a technological solution to a pastoral problem, but I've thought of just getting a stash of like, uh, Kendall fires or something like this, and then handing them to the doctors to deliver to the people on their deathbed. So I can just, and set it up with their account and everything. So I could just Skype with them yeah. and be right there in their hospital room, even though I can't get there, right. trying to figure out how, how do you do that? How, right. Yeah, so. I know. I,
1: so where are you reading these worst case scenario things? Cause I have not in any outlet that isn't the screaming NBC, um seen or heard anything that alarmist
0: uh who, who is this i'm looking at uh i'm looking at the you know the person i've been tracking the links to is this lyman stone you know okay. that guy? yeah i do yeah yeah and he sends up these links to these models and stuff like this and so i've been but i mean who knows my my numbers could be totally i mean i what do i know i mean i well your 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 best case scenario um,
1: I believe in the article I read yesterday by James Altucher was actually his like worst case scenario. And he's you know interviewing World Health Organization virologists on this thing. So I kind of take that projection pretty seriously. And that that worst case scenario being then three out of 120 or what have you, if that, it'd be more like two out of 120. Uh, if that, no, 0.1%. It's even less. So mm-hmm. it's – the coronaviruses are the common cold is a coronavirus mm-hmm. SARS was a coronavirus they're notoriously weak but effective and the fact that this one has done what it's done is interesting but by no means does it show us uh, that it's, it's' the killer virus of did you ever see the movie outbreak in like mm-hmm. the 90s that's one you should go watch right now <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, it, was, it was it was about something far worse I'll, I'll than tell
0: this. a funny story. You'll like this story. Uh, well, you, you finish your thought though. Well, because, I, uh, I lost it. It was about something
1: far worse than this, and it's certainly not what the common cold has done or, or could do or did maybe say to the American Indians. I've heard mythologies about all of that as well. I don't know. But what what Aldrich's case is that, look, it has moved through a population that was completely unprepared and living in terrible conditions and done one thing. Is moved into Italy, which is super top heavy with senior citizens and not really good, effective healthcare, and it, it's done something there too. So, what's that going to do to us if we are uh, aware of that? You know, you can't just transport one to one any of those numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. And then again, this worst case scenario, the flu beats it every year by a, by a you know an easy mile. Uh, and so we're, we're we're gearing up for what happens every year anyway. Out of this tremendous fear, and and what Alters' point is, and I think he's got me on this is you're gonna we're gonna cause a lot more deaths with this economy slowdown than this disease would have done if we just let humanity get a cold. And um, uh, we'll see. You know, I don't know. I really don't know. That's what I want to believe. Is what I just told you, yeah. right? Yeah. So don't don't take me as the final arbiter of this thing. Yeah. But yeah,
0: no, I know it's it's a weird thing. I mean, you so like I just pulled up the numbers here. So so Italy, you know, you got. 74,000 confirmed cases, 7,500 7, deaths. That's like uh, that's 10%. A, solid, that's a solid 10%. Is it? Or is it just a percent? 10%. 10%. But then you have Germany, which has 40,000 cases and 229 deaths. That's like 0.5%.
1: We are a lot more like yeah. Germany than we are like Italy in this country right. Sorry, so the United the
0: States so far so we got sixty nine thousand confirmed cases one thousand confirmed deaths so that is um, whatever seven divided by one is minus the whatever i don't know so so that's um point two or something. no no it's something two i ah, to, uh, whatever. Okay,
1: I'm going to read you a little altersure here. Every media so, outlet is reporting a two percent fatality rate. He wrote this a couple of days ago, uh, meaning that when there are forty thousand people infected, eight hundred people died, two percent. But that's wrong. It's it's not good math. We don't know the final death count on infected. In the above example, the forty thousand people alive but still infected, we don't know how many people of them will die. Uh, that would then raise the rate. Um, But his point there is that there are there's a huge percentage of a population that is infected with this and never really even gets anything. I know. And so you're you're talking about you know death rates based upon the people who show up at the hospital already deathly ill, right? As opposed to the people who didn't even know they had it.
0: You know, oh, I had a cough for a a week, right? So that I mean, amongst all of the wild things on this, this, this is the wildest, and that is that you you can have the thing for what for two to Two days to fourteen days before the symptoms show up, and some people can be asymptomatic. So, so you can, so you just don't know if you're mm. walking around no. spreading. The,
1: and again, the, before it gets bad, it doesn't seem like much, mm. from what what the science has said. And then when it gets bad, it's bad, and mm. you're like in pneumonia conditions.
0: I don't. So I don't know. I it. it this is. Uh, uh, this does seem. Mm. I, I mean, I'm with you on this. Trying to figure out if it's going to be as bad as it is, but to and to say, okay, let's just stop everything. Yeah, and keep it also very bad.
1: It is very bad, and keep a close eye on any riders of any laws that get passed in the next three weeks anywhere, because there's going to be a lot of laws that we just don't know get passed. I think uh, this is yeah. a time for all sorts of hoot nanny. Uh, in mm-hmm. closed government circles, while everyone 's just screaming and running around crazy
0: mm-hmm. I, 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 I. and so here we have to sit here as the church and say now look there's, um, we, so there 's um so we got just, a better game that's what i 'm saying <laughs> this full that we have this full view of humanity you know one of the things that our theology does is it we we want to be able to state things simply, but there 's a way that our theology um make sure that we don't oversimplify things. And I'll I'll give you an example, is that you generally, when you ask a a philosophy about their anthropology, so you just take up a philosophy and you ask them about people, they'll say, well, people are basically good, or people are basically bad. They they just have it either an optimistic or a a pessimistic anthropology. But our theology doesn't let us simplify it that much. We, We know, for example, that that we're created in the image of God, that's good. We know that we're fallen from the image of God, that's bad. But we know also that there's a, a conscience which which is given naturally, which restrains the evil in the heart of man, which is good, so that there is a civil righteousness. And um, so, so we're able to look at our our fellow human beings with some subtlety there and say, you know, the heart is wicked above all things who can know it. And yet we can rejoice in the gift of the neighbor and so forth and so on. So we're able to look at these things with a little more, um, with a little more subtlety than, than other people would. And the same, so the same thing then is true of life. We're able to look at, so, so you have people trying to, they say, look, um, if we can save one life, we can do it. Human life. This is the, the, the it's inestimable an in, inestimable value. And then other people are saying, no, no, there's a, there's an economic cost and this should be considered there as well. And it seems like these two things are fighting against each other. Well, we can look at this whole thing and say, well, those, those are both true. We mm-hmm. have to consider both of those things. I mean, you shall not murder and you shall not steal are both commandments from God. Yeah. And by the way, so is you shall have no other gods. So that we're able to take a sort of a a tenfold perspective on all of these things rather than just look singularly at one particular issue. I,
1: I think it's a mistake to equate murder and the teaching of the fifth commandment with people dying and we were unable to save them in a normal and healthy and godly way. Like, like the the line between staying alive as long as possible and murder, I think is really a, a it, it's it's not a line. It's it's a really dark black boundary. Well, uh, you know, right?
0: And I mean, that's part of it. So you you go back and read like Luther's "What to Do in the Time of Plague," and one of the reasons that Christians can act differently is because number one, we know that we're going to die, and that doesn't seem like that's actually that hard to know, <laughs> but 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 it is it of is all the things to know the fact that i'm going to die one day seems per- i'm particularly resistant to that particular yeah. truth
1: yeah and its implications
0: yeah yeah uh, but but we should i mean just if there's anything that history has taught us it is that there's a 100% mortality rate you know, <laughs> or Ninety nine point nine 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 nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Jesus happens died, when you go up
1: in a in a chariot of fire? I mean, yeah, you, you get right. to keep there your skin or not? Three
0: exceptions: <laughs> Enoch, Elijah, and Jesus, who did die. Who did die? Yep. So he didn't get out of that one. It's only the two. So. So two exceptions. Now, we uh, have—so we should be able to say, look, I'm going to die even if the corona doesn't get me. I'm going to—something's going to get me, so I should probably be ready for that. And how do I think of death? I mean, again, again, how amazing is this that our theology can tell us that death is both bad and good? Hmm. (laughs) No other philosophy can say—no other worldview can say that. It's either bad or good. I mean— it's one or the other, but we can look at it and say, no, no, it's very, very bad, and we fight against it, and yet when it comes, God be praised. It comes as a gift.
1: Hmm. So what's not coronavirus in your life right now?
0: Hmm. Well, I, I am waiting for Amazon to deliver the, the test copy of this book huh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and take They our Life. Uh, luther's view of the martyrs so this is the first book that i've really sort of written and self published all by myself and uh i got uh my new friend oscar flores and who uh, is from mexico did the cover design which is really cool <laughs> cool this lion kind of bearing down on a guy who's praying and uh and the book is there. it's not that long it's like 120 pages or something and I just I just walk through Luther's treatment of Agnes and Agatha and his treatment of burning a brother Henry and his treatment of the cross and the Christian life, and uh, and talk about it. So I think I, so I'm excited about that. I mean I yeah. haven't really put it out there yet because I want to I want to see the copy in my hands first to make yeah, yeah, sure. It's
1: yeah yeah yeah. Well, and you want to do a little lead up to it when you release it. Don't just say it's out. But here you go. Nah, this is I'm just, I'm, I'm, this I'm, is your no. this is your coming out party right here. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this, say the name uh, of the book again.
0: Uh, and Take They Are Life. And Take They Are Life by Brian Wolfmuller. Luther's Theology of the Martyrus. And you effectively your third – You are on Amazon right now. If you count self – oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I never have told anybody. But I'm going to – I'll put the PDF up there so people can download it for free. And I think I'll do – Oh wow. I think I'll record an audio book. Okay, cool. Try to cool. publish that and see. And so you can available. buy it
1: on Amazon, but you can get the PDF for free. You're going to do something to record it. It's your yeah. third book, right? Really a full-length – Full length so, book yeah. just self-published yeah. as opposed to being through a publisher. It's,
0: it's like 40,000 word, yeah, words, fifty thousand words. Yeah, it's
1: good size right there. It's bigger than without flesh, I think. Hmm. Without flesh is kinda of thin. It's kinda of, kinda of scanty. But maybe I was just more precise. Maybe yeah, I was flowery true. in the other ones. Um speaking so, of writing, well, okay, so that's like my whole reorientation of priorities. You know, I've got I've got the thinking of my faith in more realistic yet fantasy terms. And then I've got I was put on this planet to write and I keep doing things to make it so I can try to write. And maybe I should stop doing that and try to write instead. And, um, so that's, that's like on my mind, which means that in 10 minutes, we'll be at one hour. And as much as I would love to talk for another hour, I want to write today. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that, that's what's going on in my world, but I want to know we got 10 more minutes. So anything else you want to talk about and ponder? Um, even coming out of, you know, the, the content, content of the book itself. I mean, why did you write that? It's, you wrote that one before your other two correct Is this is like an older work that you kind no, of updated? no
0: no it's it's more recent but what i mean so uh you know i was writing this um the the martyr's faith in a faithless world doesn't actually have that much to do with the martyrs <laughs> it, i mean it's i tell some martyr stories in there but it's mostly an exposition of the parable of the, of the sower huh. uh and and how to, you know, what attacks the faith and what does the bible say about that so i was reflecting on that but in in the meantime maybe kind of concurrent i was i was looking for this f- quote from tertullian that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church mm-hmm. which is inter- it's a very interesting quote actually because you would think that tertullian the blood of the martyrs is the water of the church that waters the seed of faith or something like that but but the blood is the seed, he says, which is – it's just an interesting thing. And I knew that Luther knew that quote. So I was just doing a search for Luther to try to figure out where he quoted that hmm. and how familiar he was with Tertullian. I was just tracking down something else. So I searched Luther's works for martyr, and and it it's like 500, 600 t- results came back just for the word martyr. Hmm. And I had no idea that Luther was reflecting so much on the martyr. So I, I just started tracking down – some of those quotes from Luther. And a big part of this book is an a, a, appendix. It's got like a 20-page appendix of Luther's quotes on the martyrs. And it's, it really is amazing how well-developed his theology of martyrdom is, uh, how he was expecting to be martyred, how he understood... It, it, this, you get it has to see happened he, to
1: everybody else around him. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. other person who tried to stand up to the Pope had been, like, flayed and quartered.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he and he told stories about Haas and and these. I mean, Brother Henry. The first hymn that Luther wrote was an ode to two guys who had been martyred for. They left Wittenberg with the doctrine, and then they get they went and were killed. And so, (laughs) and and Luther's understanding of church history. So he understood that the first that there was three great waves of temptation. The first was the temptation of trouble. That was the martyrs. So that was a temptation. That was the um. Oh, how does he say it? A temptation of courage, and then. There's the temptation that came after that was the temptation of error, hmm. so the, the 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 great debates of Arius and on the incarnation and the Trinity that was the second great temptation, and then the third great temptation was of their of the time of the Reformation was the temptation of indifference. Hmm. <laughs> it's amazing actually to see. So, so when Luther talks about the martyrs, you see his you see the, the really practical side of the doctrine of justification coming out. So his two favorite martyrs, I, I love this stuff, it were Agnes and Agatha. These two young girls who were martyred like 100 years apart, but one was 13 and the other was 21 maybe. I mean mm-hmm. the historical account is not 100%. Both wanted the, – the Roman guys wanted to marry him, and they refused. Um, they they were, wanted to be nuns, so they, they were martyred. But both of their accounts talk about how they went to the martyrdom dancing – as if they were being led to, to a wedding feast. So you imagine these young teenage girls dressed up like they're going to a party, like a a dance, and dancing along as they're being led to prison and to be burned at the stake. and And that captured Luther. I mean, it really. He his last sermon. He's preaching about Agnes dancing to the stake it, that he preaches in Iceland before he gets sick and and dies. He's that that captured his imagination and and he uses them as the examples of what he identifies as spiritual drunkenness. Hmm. So so you know if you see someone that's just what uh, that's had too many beers, they they sort of lose their inhibitions. So. Uh, we used to call it liquid courage, <laughs> so mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. a handful of beers and uh and now you're going to go and and talk smack to a guy who's two feet taller than you and and a hundred pounds you know like you you can take on the whole world well that's that's kind of how Luther sees the Holy Spirit <laughs> is he gives us this spiritual drunkenness so that we're not afraid of the devil, we're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of this, but this spiritual drunkenness is in some ways a true sobriety. It's seeing things rightly, but that's right. But, but the, the martyrs have this. They're not afraid to face this. So the so world, it's like,
1: it's like Pentecost, the world thinks you're drunk, mm-hmm. but you are more sober than they.
0: Right. Yeah. It's so, so it's a, a fascinating thing. So I, I wanted, I had never seen anybody writing about it. So I, I wrote a couple pages. In fact, it was supposed to be an article for doxology, which they want articles between Seven to nine thousand words, and I wrote fifty thousand. Yeah, right. It so. was a little too much, there, son. <laughs> Take that back. Try again. Uh,
1: <laughs> and like in a grade school, you are like, "How am I going to write a hundred words? That's so much."
0: <laughs> well, what I—I I mean, my kids are trying to learn to write. I said, "Okay, look, this is what they never tell you, but probably it's pretty important. You, you got to have something to say."
1: Yeah, well, that's the truth. That is the truth. You got to care about what you are talking about. So, so the martyr thing. Um, reminds me of something else that's from my own, you know, reimagination, you know, festivities that I've been doing. And I, I was pondering during prayer and, and, uh, I forget which psalm it was, but martyrdom came up. It, it wasn't thanks to you necessarily, but it must have been in my subconscious because of your work the last year. Um, but somehow martyrdom came up in just my, my ponderings and my, uh, my mindfulness time really too. And the, the word martyrdom, and the fear of pain that I think I just have always, in a childlike way, associated with the concept, you know, kind of jumped at me at that moment. And images of things like being sawn into two and whatnot—the whole Hebrews eleven thing—that um, uh, has always formed my my kind of feeling, the, the 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 pathos of the word, right? Maybe it's even the ethos of the word. Um, some of both. And then I was reminded of something, and this story is going to get a little long because i got to tell a story within it. But I was reminded of another story. It's a story that I have always loved. Uh, and if you're an old fan of mine, you know I have a sweatshirt uh, connected to it. And and uh, you, you can't miss it because anyone who who played these three video games all the way through is, is sort of like a, a small cult club kind of thing that we know this story. Because it was just three video games, uh, uh, number one, number two, number three. And they did something beyond just be good games. They told a trilogy story that was complete and uh, one of the kind of um, highlight novels of my life. I mean I don't know how else to say it. It it, uh, The Lord of the Rings is is phenomenal, and the Mass Effect series is is a stunning work of art uh, from a literature point of view given the medium it had to use. At the very end of this, this character that you've been named Commander Shepard for the entire series, and this is a guy who's already died and risen once, uh, this is a guy, but he's just a guy, right? It's, it's, it's through the marvel of science and whatnot. This is a guy who's been willing to sacrifice his life to stop the purging of humanity by alien species. And and now you're at this final moment with the same crew you've been with this whole time, and they've developed, in the storyline, the dialogue, and the relationships that are there, and you're making your last stand against these, these Bahamut space alien ship creatures called the Reapers who come and destroy civilization every so many millennia and you're you're losing this war these things are just destroying the planet but you're at the very heart of their their primary uh, attack point and your little team has to go and do something you're going to die you all know you're going to die and you run and there's this moment where they're running at the light and the music at this point the score is so complete and so well tuned to the event that you forget you're playing a video game and you are you are running into that light believing fully you're going to die shooting for all it's worth to save the world that's martyrdom that emotion is martyrdom what, what Commander Shepard does in the story, he is a martyr. Uh, there's there's multiple endings, but in most of them he does, in fact, die uh, to achieve that salvation. And the feeling that you have in that moment, I want to take that feeling of I am fighting for the good of the world. And I want to I want to think of the word martyrdom with that feeling as opposed to that childlike fear of pain, whatever, uh, that I had had, had before this. Um, to believe in martyrdom, and not as a goal. It's not a goal, right? Um, but it certainly is an, an, an inspirational Reality, drunk or
0: not, right? <laughs> I don't know if that all made sense, but uh, no, no, yeah. no. That's I mean, there is a sense that the martyr. I mean, I, that that's the that kind of thing. I mean, I don't. I'm not so connected to that video game, but the, sure. But when 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 we're reading through Hebrews 11, and it and it has all the they, they stop the mouths of lions, they mm. set they they conquered kingdoms they they gave their life and then and then it talked they were overcome in battle they wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins and then it says of whom the world was not worthy hmm. i mean that that little line there i don't i mean would that the what that god the holy spirit would would in each of us, a, a little ambition. That that would be true of us. <laughs> that, that 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 it might be that might be quietly whispered. The world wasn't worthy of them. You know I what? Mean, not because of our haughtiness, but no, because of
1: whatever. No, that that thought and that expression is largely what I experienced for five hours as a pastor communing people in the woods this last Sunday. Each mm-hmm. one that came down. And they would surprise me. I was like, like who came, who didn't? And some knew, and I, I'm trying not to judge anybody, right? But each one that came in, there was a moment where my heart just cried in joy for who they were and that they'd come out on this day and that they weren't scared off by the fact that we'd changed the plan and said it's going to be outside. And you got to walk down into this little grotto uh, where, where your, uh, you know, your cult priest in his robes of purple is standing there at a wooden altar, right? Um, it, they came down so pious and— yeah, the, the world going on around them, you know, Walmart delivery trucks zooming by and everyone else shutting down uh, is not worthy of them. Mm-hmm. And especially in that moment, as they eat bread and wine according to the Lord's command, uh, that is the holiness, the worthiness all in itself, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to experience. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. And did I tell you that we confirmed like seven people that day? No. So we— That's great. Because confirmation would be Easter vigil and we're uncertain about— What our plans and timeline for that is with all that we were talking about earlier. And because this is a time of trial and because these kids have been in class with me for two years and they're fully ready to commune, they've been ready to commune since the year started. Now we just have to jump through all the hoops for everybody else. But in this moment, it was like, hey, parents, do you want your kids communing? Hey, kids, you want to commune? They're all like, yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we just did it. And I did. A, mm-hmm. I did a very brief rite for them separately. Uh, each each family that came through. We'll do a big one in the summer, and you know they'll take the whole vow. I didn't make them do every little piece of it, but um, they took most of it. Though, I mean, they acknowledged baptism, renounced the devil, all this good stuff, committed mm-hmm. themselves to to supper in the church until they die. Uh, and it was beautiful. It was, you think mm-hmm. they're going to remember their confirmation day the rest of their lives, dear heavens?
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. It is fantastic.
1: There, there's amazing things happening through this for the church and the faith. And even you – know, I, I said this somewhere else recently. One of my, my, my head elder, one of my uh, my good friends too, um, they're go, they're dealing with some struggles with all the economy stuff. And yet his words to me were, this is going to sharpen us. And mm-hmm. he meant his family. He meant the congregation. He meant Christians. Mm-hmm. And um, like I, I believe that firmly at this point.
0: That's uh, right. Yeah? I want to give you a little Luther quote because so, this is good. Um let me see. The Lord defeats the devil through the martyrs. How about this? So this is Luther on Psalm sixty eight. The foot of Christ is the saints, like the apostles and martyrs, through whom he crushed the world. Hmm. Quote You will walk on the asp and the basilisk, and you shall trample the lion and the dragon underfoot. Tread upon Psalm the lion and,
1: and trample the serpent underfoot, for he will answer you. Answer me when I call to him. Yeah. Psalm ninety one. It's great. But That's that trickling right can only
0: be accomplished through the suffering and blood of martyrs. martyrs. Huh. Then the world was perfectly despised when even unto death they did not give in to it, and thus through blood were superior to it as long as it could not achieve what it wanted. So how does he get the connection point that this is only of the martyrs? Oh, apostles and martyrs. Um, it, uh, well, remember Luther when he says martyr, he means anyone who suffers for the for faith. the faith. Okay, yeah, because I I fully get it how that can apply in
1: the moment of martyrdom, and and my pondering of that very psalm is a big part of everything I've said so far in this conversation about it. Um, not martyrdom specifically, but the life of faith and the confidence we have that whatever comes, mm-hmm. you're 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 going to trample the lion, you're going to crush his head underneath your heel because your heel is joined with Christ's heel. And the, the rest of that psalm, you know, God being the fortress and the refuge, uh, delivering us from the snare of the fowler and hiding us from the deadly pestilence—all these things, um, hiding us from the deadly pestilence. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, does that mean you don't catch it? No, but it can't harm you. It can't mm-hmm. hurt you, right? It can't harm you. What, you a, have nothing. what a thing to live as Christ to die is is gain. Is gain. Yeah. That's great. Hey, Brian, I really appreciate you reaching out and having this conversation. And if you get too bored, let me know. We'll do it again in a week or so because why good. not? Just you know? sitting around
0: well, thinking about this stuff. That's great. Thanks I'm, for having me. If
1: you if you need something else to do, I'm sure uh, somebody can find some work for you if you're bored. But I'm pretty sure you'll fill up the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure I will. Well enough. Right,
0: right, 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 right. No Namely, you know, Bobby, I'm war. And Insane. Well, trigger uh, warning. Ain't a safe space. I'm off. insanity. I'm going Yes, completely.
1: Utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're
0: doing mad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? Ha, <laughs>